out of paper, out of stock. There's friendly faces around the block. Break loose from the chains that are causing you pain. Call Michael and Stanley, Jim Dwight Green. Call Andy and Kelly for your business paper needs. Dunder Mifflin, the people, persons, paper people. Dunder Mifflin, the people, persons, paper people. Time out, time out, time out. Hey, paper people. Welcome back for episode nine of Out of Paper. As always, I'm Dan. And I'm Rob. And we are ready to get started. Yeah. So let's do that. We got some news. Uh, let's bring it to Rob. Since you I'm the, the news, news guy. I'm the news guy, apparently. Yeah. <laughs> All right. So uh, we got a couple pieces of Steve Carell related news. He will be starring opposite Reese Witherspoon and Jennifer Aniston in an Apple TV Plus show called The Morning Show. I didn't realize it was going to be an exclusive to them. Yeah, I think uh, Apple revealed their own streaming service at their last big Apple Yeah, and I, I definitely thing. heard about that. Yeah, and this was like the flagship show that they were opening Interesting. it with. Yeah. So I wonder if it's going to be kind of restrained, because I read a bunch of stuff on the internet how, for whatever reason, they're being extremely restrictive with content they're allowing on their platform in terms of... Like age levels, uh, language, and stuff like that. Interesting. Yeah. I saw a lot of pushback about that, a lot of complaints. Well, I mean, maybe it, it remains to be seen, I guess. We don't really know the extent to which. Yeah, they might have been more public about it than I looked into. I'm not sure. Yeah. But, huh. yeah I wonder if this show will be subject to those constraints or not. Well, could be good either way. We shall see. Yeah. yeah. Nothing wrong with clean comedy. It's true. I mean, The Office is relatively clean. Is it? I mean, they don't curse. No. But I... Uh... <laughs> I don't know. <laughs> I mean, it's there are other sitcoms out there that are a little more risque than The Office, I guess, is all I'm trying to say. Okay. I feel like I don't know many parents that would restrict their kids from watching The Office. What if they see that scene where Dwight lifts off everyone who's had sex in The Office and it's pretty much everybody except for Kevin? but still they're just talking about it they're not showing anything i mean i guess you see that's true dwight and angela like kind of in the middle of of that but all you see is like dwight's naked back yeah so (laughs) well they do have the blurred uh dwight hanging out in there when angela tells him that she needs to talk to him and he's just lounging there come on in the water's fine that's right that's true (laughs) stole that ryan line yeah, so I mean, I guess it's not like family friendly, but I wouldn't, yeah. I wouldn't imagine Apple TV is going to like go full on Disney Channel. Yeah, I hope not at least, Yeah, but we'll see. Yeah. I mean, it seems like even Disney's not going full on Disney Channel anymore with their latest streaming service that they've announced. Yeah, that's true. The Mandalorian's supposed to be real dark and gritty. Yeah. So I'm pretty excited about that. I am too. Yeah. Um. And it's also been revealed that Steve Carell will be collaborating again with Jon Stewart in an upcoming film that he's directing titled Irresistible. Hey. And uh, it looks like they've also got Chris Cooper and Rose Byrne to uh, star in the movie as well. Nice. I'm not sure I know who Chris Cooper is off the top of my head. Um, He was the brash botanist in Adaptation. 
Brash botanist. I like that. Yeah, I mean, that's accurate. How else, you, how else would you describe him? It's just a fun... Uh, <laughs> yeah. I like that, you know, brash botanist. I just the like that phrase. Alliteration. Yeah. yeah. Well, that's exciting. Yeah, and I think it's going to be uh, political comedy. Oh, interesting. So, yeah. What's it called? Irresistible. Yeah. Irresistible. Hmm. Yeah, kind of a funny name for a political comedy, but... Yeah, I wonder what it's going to be about. I feel like it could go a lot of different directions based purely off the title. Yeah. So interesting. Yeah. I'll look forward to that. Yeah, me too. I'm I'm excited. Very cool. And uh that's pretty much all I got for news. Not bad. In fact, that is all I have for news. So. Oh. All right then. <laughs> anything going on in your life you want to share? You don't have to. I, Feeling... I can't think of anything to share from my own, so. Very alone in the world. Really? Disconnected adrift no it's actually nice because it's getting to be that time of year where people in this city are coming out of hibernation so it's true yeah everyone's starting to meet up again and go out and the rain jackets come off and the sundresses go on that's right yep we're we're reaching that point so i'm Mm -hmm. I'm excited about it what about you yeah about the same yeah yeah looked for a new apartment like i told you earlier right didn't pan out this time but yeah, I mean, the beautiful thing is, is if you're not in a rush, you can really shop around. It is nice. I feel like I've noticed there's, whenever I talk to a leasing agent or an apartment manager, there's like a little glimmer of disappointment in their face whenever they ask when I'm looking to move and I tell them that my living situation is perfectly stable. I'm just looking to change it up. So ideally soon, but really whenever. Right. Ah, well, there goes any potential pressure <laughs> for whatever. Yeah. <laughs> But, yeah, and it is nice to have that flexibility. Mm-hmm. And, yeah, that's about all I could think of. Cool. So I guess we're ready to jump into the episode. Let's do it. All right. We've got a lot to cover. We so. do. Yes. So we were talking about Office Olympics, the third episode of the second season, and the ninth overall. We could probably stop adding that final part. It seems kind of extemporaneous, but. Yeah, considering our episode numbers are going to follow the. Yeah. Yeah. I don't know who's following along that's going to be playing it based on any kind of numbered system or, oh, what episode is this? Nine? Yeah. But who knows? Maybe it's really helping someone. Yeah, good. So if we stop doing it and (laughs) anybody has a problem with that, let us know and we'll be happy to throw it back in. (laughs) Yeah, there you go. All right. Well, this episode was written by Michael Schur, the great Michael Schur, and was directed by Paul Feig, which I believe this is the first episode that he directed. Out of a number of episodes, right? Mm Mm-hmm. Yeah. Yeah, throughout the years. And uh, it first aired on October 4th, 2005, and was viewed by 8.3 million people. You know what's funny is uh, there was a, a long period of time. I forget. I think it's. I think the guy who runs the MCU, Marvel Cinematic Universe, uh-huh. is also named Paul Feig. And I always thought that it was this Paul Feig. Until, is he? Until very recently. I know his last name is Feig. Maybe oh. it's not Paul, but... For some reason, I always associated the MCU with this Paul Feig, but interesting, they are not one and the same. No, I guess not. I'm gonna oh Kevin Feig. Oh Kevin Feig. There you go. Interesting. See, I I thought you were maybe confusing him with the guy from Boogie Nights, whose name is evading me right now. Who is an Iron Man or not Boogie Nights? uh, Swingers. Oh right. But nope i think he just kind of kicked off the mcu the guy that you're referring to seems to be running marvel studios right john favre john so i thought favre. you could have been yeah. thinking of no but no obviously not sounds nothing like paul feig right 
And uh, yeah, Paul Feig's got enough going on. I don't know if he would have time to <laughs> head up the entire Marvel universe. He also doesn't strike me as a comic book man, so there's that too. No, I I feel like yeah, I, he seems like he's himself a fan of comic books, and I feel like I've seen that kind of shine through in a lot of his work. Mm. But yeah, I've never seen him direct any comic book type stuff, or no. even seem like he wants to go in that direction. No. I did to direct the new Ghostbusters, which yeah, they're not comic books or superheroes, but they're kind of in that arena. In that realm, sure. Yeah. Well, anyway, let's talk about Paul Feig for a moment. Paul Samuel Feig was born September 17th, 1962. He has acted, directed, produced, he's written, he's done it all. <laughs> he uh, is best known for the films Bridesmaids, The Heat, Spy, Ghostbusters, the new Ghostbusters, not the original Ghostbusters. Right. Uh, he also directed a movie called A Simple Favor, and he directed and co-created Freaks and Geeks. That I did not know. Oh, yeah. He, so it was him and... Uh, Judd Apatow. Yeah. Okay. But I think most of the creative base for it actually came from Paul Feig, which I didn't realize till I watched mm. a, uh, it was like a documentary special that came out about Freaks and Geeks maybe about six months ago. Really? Yeah. And there were a lot of interviews with Paul Feig talking about how he came up with it. And yeah, Judd wow. Apatow was just kind of the one that helped him figure out how to market it and shoot it. So he was like a producer type. I guess. Judd I think he, he's credited as the co-creator as well. But I think that Paul Feig was the one that came up with the whole idea and okay. largely based the main character off of himself and his own childhood experiences too. Was there a main character? Yeah, be, I guess there were a lot of main characters, but I was thinking more of uh, Sam, the young brother. Oh, right. Yeah. Man, it's amazing wa I like watching that show, and mm -hmm. then the next time I saw the actor who plays Sam was in the movie Waiting. Uh-huh. And it's almost like he's like three times as tall as yeah. he was in Freaks and Geeks. Like, and <laughs> that guy just shot up like a weed. Uh-huh. And Freaks and Geeks, I want to say he was maybe... 13 at the oldest maybe 14 or something and yeah. clearly hadn't hit puberty yet and was just dwarfed by everybody else around him and yeah now he seems like a pretty tall guy yeah and just big like not fat but just big framed big person yeah it's yeah kind of incredible it is it's like he got a body transplant but you can still tell it's him face and everything right but yeah that character is based on paul feig's childhood i guess he grew up in the midwest and hmm. yeah Interesting. Mm-hmm. Came up with the Weirs. Cool. Yeah. And uh, let's see, what else did he do? Yeah, in addition to that, he created a series called Other Space, which I am not familiar with. Yeah, me He's either. directed a bunch of off uh, episodes of Arrested Development, Weeds, Nurse Jackie, Mad Men, 30 Rock, Parks and Recreation. And he has received the nomination for two primetime Emmys for his writing on Freaks and Geeks and three for directing on The Office. Wow. Yeah. That's awesome. And what I always knew him as before any of this was as Tim, the skinny camp counselor in Heavyweights. Yeah. Yeah. He was the one that betrayed everybody by losing his weight and <laughs> danced around. He sang a lot. <laughs> I remember I thought he was hilarious as a kid. Big fan of Tim the counselor. Yeah. Yeah. And still am, I guess. I feel like I don't know if I saw, let's see, Heavyweights came out in 95. Mm-hmm. So, yeah, that must have been the first time I ever saw him, too. But I definitely remember him from Sabrina the Teenage Witch. 
Oh yeah, we talked about it. You yeah. watched the original series yeah. of that. I never. I had. feel like I watched for a couple seasons. I don't think I saw many of like the later seasons. But was he a main character or just kind of a recurring character? I want to say he was a teacher for just a couple seasons, and then that was it. Okay. Yeah. And then there's, I, I think there was a couple seasons where Sabrina had like already graduated high school and was like in college and working at a coffee shop. But I had stopped watching by that point. Wow. Yeah. And realized the show extended that far into the future. It's funny because Carrie went through it again. I didn't watch it with her. Like I caught episodes here and there, but yeah, she got to a point where I'm just like, <laughs> I'm like, what show is this? <laughs> but yeah. Some uh, funny Melissa Joan Hart trivia while we're on the subject oh, of yeah. Sabrina the Teenage Witch. I was just listening to uh, How Did This Get Made? Uh, I think it was yesterday. Uh-huh. Shout out to that podcast for anybody who's not aware of it. But anyhow, Paul Shear was recounting stories from his childhood, which the more I hear from Paul Shear about his childhood, I don't know. I, I don't know how he lived the life he's lived. It just seems like he's had the most bizarre collection of tragic and interesting and bizarre and weird and amazing experiences all lumped into one huh. and seemingly came out the other end a very down-to-earth normal friendly guy not like traumatic bad experience but just weird right. um but anyhow he brought up how apparently one of the kids at his high school was dating melissa joan hart he went to school in new york yeah and they had some event that was a take your girlfriend to school day which all the other hosts of how did this get made were saying and i'm sure you can relate to me and them is that nobody else has ever heard of such a thing and he said maybe it was created around them knowing that this kid was dating melissa joan hart as a way to kind of give her like a view into a real high school experience because she's so famous and has been ever since she was a little kid that she's never really had that yeah that's the only thing that makes sense to me and uh and yeah, they were questioning him, and rightfully so. Like, did they were they really dating? Did this kid just make it up? But he said no. You know, she came to the school, and they were like walking around in the halls, holding hands and kissing and stuff. And he uh, said he was a huge fan of Sabrina the Teenage Witch and wanted to approach her, but was nervous and didn't know what to say or how to do it. Yeah. And he had just recently failed a math test that he had to have his parents sign, so he ended up walking up to her and asking if she could sign his test. <laughs> So that his, he wouldn't have to show it to his parents. And she signed it with her name, you know, Melissa Joan Hart. Yeah. And then wrote underneath it in giant letters, Clarissa. Because he huh. was a, or, right. yeah, cause he was a big fan of Clarissa Explains It All. Yeah. And he turned that into his teacher and he got away with it. They didn't <laughs> even look at the signature. They just said, okay, thanks. That's hilarious. And he said he still has that test filed away in some folder somewhere. Oh, wow. <laughs> I remember once, uh, it was fifth grade, my teacher was Mrs. Sweetser. She was great, but I got a C minus or something on a test or a quiz. Uh huh. And I think if you get below a B, you have to have your parents sign it. Wow, your school is strict. Yeah, is this high school. It was private school. Okay, fifth grade. Okay. Yeah. Uh, so I ended up forging my dad's signature and did a horrible job. Oh yeah, I've like, done that. <laughs> it was very obvious it was not my dad who signed the test. <laughs> and I had to come in for a parent-teacher conference about it. Oh, that's awesome. Yeah. I mean, of course, at the time, you're just like, this is the worst. I'm a horrible human being. But it's funny looking back on it because it really wasn't a big deal. And I'm sure seven out of ten kids do that at some point Yeah, throughout school. 
So yeah, that that seems like the kind of thing. Yeah, most kids try. I remember I once did that with my mom's signature, and it came out. I was trying to write it like to copy something that she had signed that was in front of me. Yeah, and I didn't like. I wanted to get it right, so I was doing it very slowly. So right. I just had this like giant, very crinkly. <laughs> version of my mom's signature and then i circled it thinking somehow that would lend it legitimacy and uh i also got caught i don't remember if we had to have a meeting about it yeah true but i do remember my teacher looking at me like do you seriously expect me to believe that your mom wrote this <laughs> uh, that's great i was probably also in around fifth grade or something yeah actually i remember the teacher it was fifth grade nice yeah there you go but yeah Kids will be kids, you know? Kids will be kids. Yep. Well, anyhow, moving on to the episode. We open with a shot of the office at night, and uh, this is apparently the first cold open of yeah, the series. Yeah, I read that too. I, I, I thought there was one earlier. In, in season one. Yeah. I did too, but thinking back, I can't remember what it would have been. So maybe we were just confusing it with something else. Possibly. Just memories of the thousand times we've seen the whole series, just implanting something somewhere it wasn't. That and maybe, you know, just the concept of a cold open for these episodes wasn't really something we were not necessarily not conscious of, but weren't looking out for. Mm-hmm. Yeah, I don't know. I, I was surprised to see that this was the first one, too. Yeah. But, but first cold open, we have a voiceover from Michael where we learn that he's an early bird and also kind of a night owl. So he's wise and he has worms. <laughs> we cut to <laughs> Michael sitting in his office and uh, Ryan comes in. It's still dark out through the window behind him. He says, hey, here you go. And hands him a bag with a sausage, egg and cheese biscuit in it uh-huh. and uh, asks him, so what did you want me to come in early for? And he says, oh, you know, th- this was it. Kind of holds up the, the biscuit sausage <laughs> sandwich. <laughs> He says, uh, so, you know, just take the first, uh, take a couple hours to yourself. Office is yours. Yeah, you know, enjoy, <laughs> enjoy it, you know, run around, take your clothes off, risky business. Yeah. Whatever you got to do. <laughs> Ryan says he's just going to go take a nap in his car. <laughs> and, so it's, uh, uh, I love that there's uh, this edge to Ryan's voice. Like, he's really annoyed that he has to be there. I mean, I mean, yeah. and then, but even before he figured out why, <laughs> of course, he was still just kind of like, why, what am I doing here? I mean, have you ever been stoked to show up to work early when you're asked to come no. in earlier than usual? Yeah, that's true. Yeah. But you know what else is really funny is it doesn't seem like there was any good reason for Michael to even be there that early. I think he was there that early so that he could have Ryan come in and bring him a breakfast sandwich two hours earlier. <laughs> And hopefully get a glimpse of Ryan running around the office with his clothing off. <laughs> Hottest in the office. <laughs> yep. Because I, you know, I, I wouldn't I mean, that him. was his immediate go-to suggestion for what Ryan does. Yeah. Just, you know, enjoy the whole office. And I love that he sells, tries to sell it to him like it's a treat. Right. Ryan's been giving this great privilege. They can <laughs> run around his workplace with his clothing off as Michael leers at him through some blinds. <laughs> Yeah. Maybe Michael foresaw this kind of turning into something where they both just bond a lot. And, you know, he hangs out with him in his office. I, I don't know what Michael had in mind. He probably saw numerous different ways this could have gone. And I don't think any of what Michael saw happening was Ryan leaving to go take a nap in his car. Yeah, probably not. Honestly, I'm surprised Ryan wasn't just like, 
I'm going to go home. I yeah, mean, that's what I was going to say. That's what yeah. I would have done if I was him. Like two hours to kill? I wouldn't have just sat in my car. Yeah, Scranton doesn't seem that big. Exactly. How long would it possibly take him to get home, especially with traffic at that hour? Right. Yeah. So I'm surprised he didn't <laughs> leave, but he didn't. And uh, yeah, he goes to take a nap in his car. Michael looks at the camera, takes the biscuit off his biscuit, egg, and cheese sandwich, both sides of the biscuit. <laughs> Healthier. Got to watch those carbs. <laughs> And it's all sandwiched between, like, two slices of American cheese. Oh, yeah. <laughs> yeah, it looks like it's just a McDonald's breakfast mm-hmm. sandwich. Which, as far as breakfast sandwiches from fast food places go, it's not bad. Yeah. Yeah. I mean, obviously, you could do better, but... It's funny that he couldn't just take five minutes out of his commute to do it himself. I mean, well, again, again I, yeah, I really he, had, he had to Ryan, set up Ryan yeah. being there. Yeah, <laughs> I know. But it's all just pretty ridiculous. Yeah. Well, it was Michael. <laughs> So then we get the intro theme after that cold open, and we come back to Michael with the beginning of the episode talking about how today he is going to become a homeowner. Dwight tells him that uh, that's smart, diversifying. (laughs) And then Michael says, yeah, you know, back in the olden days, you couldn't even vote unless you owned property. They would throw you in the stocks. (laughs) Dwight thinks that uh, they should bring the stocks back. (laughs) They worked. There'd be less troublemakers. (laughs) So from here, we move on to the exterior of Michael's office where Jim dies of boredom. His head slumps down against his desk, and we have an explanation from Pam about how every now and again this happens to Jim, and it's up to her to figure out a way to revive him. Yeah. I imagine working at Dunder Mifflin probably happens a lot. (laughs) Yeah, and judging by the ledger that Kevin and uh, Oscar have going. Yes, (laughs) as we'll see later. (laughs) Yeah. So, yeah, we see Jim go up to Pam's desk, and they start playing a game. I think that was Pam's idea. That is, uh, let's try to throw little pieces of paper into Dwight's coffee mug. I really like the name that they came up for this in the deleted scene. Oh, what was it? I don't remember. Skeet Shrooting. Oh, yeah. (laughs) I should have kept that in. They really should have. That was really clever. Mm Mm-hmm. Yeah. And uh, I think they run out of little crumpled pieces of paper, I guess, post-it notes, Mm -hmm. and... Pam suggests that uh, they move on to paper clips. She yes. has a whole bunch of them. Right. And uh, <laughs> so, yeah, moving back from here, we go back to Michael and Dwight. And uh, Dwight starts begging Michael to go with him to <laughs> get his new condo. He says he can uh, help make sure stuff is up to code, which Michael immediately poo-poos. But as we see of Dwight throughout the series, he is a big fan of checking that houses are up to code. It's true. And at least broad strokes from what we see, he appears to know what he's talking about. Yeah, which doesn't surprise me in the least. No, I mean, Dwight is pretty capable in ways like that. I really like how Dwight manipulated Michael in this scene. Because at first, Michael told him, no, you can't come. Uh huh. And then Dwight was like, oh, so this is a personal thing? Well, that's, well for, that's what Michael's excuse was. He says, no, you can't come with me. This is personal. He says, oh, you're taking a personal day. Oh, you're day. taking a personal day. And he looks at the camera. He's like, well, no. <laughs> <laughs> you know, as the boss, you know, part of. I need to get my living yeah. situation taken care of because, yeah. you know, I need somewhere to live if I'm going to work. <laughs> <laughs> so his argument has fallen flat and now Dwight can come with him. Yep. What does Dwight say? He says, as your representative. <laughs> No, my associate. Same thing. No, it's not. (laughs) I love it. Yep. And uh, so they, yeah, leave the office to embark on their journey. And then we get a little talking head from Dwight where he 
explains and contextualizes his relationship with Michael. I have been Michael's number two guy for about five years, and we make a great team. We're like one of those classic famous teams. He's like Mozart, and I'm like Mozart's friend. No, I'm like Butch Cassidy, and Michael is like Mozart. You try and hurt Mozart, you're going to get a bullet in your head, courtesy of Butch Cassidy. (laughs) (laughs) Yeah. (laughs) It's totally antithetical to his original claim of being a great, like, classic team. Yep. (laughs) (laughs) We can't First, he brings up that, uh, yeah, Michael's Mozart, and he doesn't seem to be able to think of any of Mozart's associates, which in Dwight's defense, neither can I. No. I mean, no normal person would know the name of, you know. Whoever the king was, wherever that was. (laughs) (laughs) But, uh, yeah, and then Dwight decides he's Butch Cassidy. And uh, everybody remembers that famous pairing of Mozart and Butch Cassidy. (laughs) (laughs) It's probably my favorite Butch Cassidy movie. (laughs) Yeah. And uh, so, yeah, from here we move on to Michael is leaving his office, goes up to Pam's desk. Most honorable Pamara, not offensive. That's how they talk in the movies. And uh, checks with Pam to make sure everyone has their expense reports ready for the end of the day after she asks if he's leaving to go sign his condo papers. And uh, he double checks with Pam to make sure that she has changed his magazines to his new address. (laughs) He lists them off. Small businessman, Maxim. I love that the American Way makes the list, the in-flight magazine that he talks about loving to read. <laughs> yeah, he brought it up in uh, Hot Girl. Yep. Yeah, that's great. He had a great article about, who's it, Doris Day? <laughs> yeah, and where she likes <laughs> to eat in Phoenix. Yeah. <laughs> Just uh, riveting. I love it. <laughs> and his Cracked magazine, of course. Uh, Pam kind of makes fun of him a bit about the cracked. You know, I'll, sure, I'll make sure that I right. transfer your cracked magazine. He says, uh, not just cracked. Also, how about fine arts <laughs> aficionado monthly? monthly? <laughs> <laughs> Gives a quick little glance at the camera. Yeah. Pam says she didn't get to that one. So he says, you know, make sure you do. So he doesn't just read cracked. <laughs> Is cracked the website associated with cracked the magazine? Cracked, the website, is the current surviving form of Cracked, the magazine. Oh, okay. The original Cracked, the magazine, uh, I want to say it started in either the late 80s or early 90s, and it was kind of a response to Mad Magazine of people just trying to do their own spin on, you know, similar formula. Yeah. And yeah, it had little cartoons. It was very similar in format to Mad Magazine, but they billed themselves as being a little zanier. Okay. A little edgier. Hmm. And, uh, yeah, they stuck around for a good number of years. But I think eventually they just couldn't keep printing magazines anymore. True. And I think, sadly, Mad Magazine, I think they still do print magazines. But I want to say, last I heard about them, and this might even be out of date, a couple as of a couple of years ago, I think they were only putting out quarterly issues. Oh. Yeah. Wow. And they did monthly issues from... I want to say like 1961 or 62 or 63, something around then up until the mid 2010s. Wow. Yeah. They're the kid or their mascot, I guess you could call him or whatever. Alfred E. Newman. Oh, there you go. Uh Uh-huh. Yeah. For some reason, he always gave me the creeps a little bit. He's pretty creepy. He is. Yeah. He looks almost like 
You know who he was looked like to me? He looked like the dummy from that uh, Goosebumps book. Yeah. Slappy. Yeah, yeah. Like a child version of Slappy. Right. Yeah, he did kind of look like a uh, ventriloquist dummy. Mm-hmm. Huh. His tagline was, what me worry? Huh. Yeah. Yeah, Mad Magazine. Pretty influential magazine for, I feel like, most of the... I don't know about modern comedians, but most of the comedians who inspired those comedians, mm. I feel like, largely all grew up with Mad Magazine. Yeah. I think the only thing that I really liked about Mad Magazine was the Spy versus Spy comics. Mm. I really loved those. Those were always great. Yeah. yeah, I remember those were always the most popular growing up among everyone I knew, too. Yeah. And I feel like, yeah, as a kid, those were the only ones I liked. As I read them more getting older... Because my dad had all those back issues going back like 50 years. Oh, right. I feel like I gained an appreciation for the other stuff. And part of me, I was actually just thinking about them the other day for whatever reason. And thinking about how considering how crazy news cycles are and just the world seems to have gotten. Or maybe how overexposed we are now to how crazy the world's always been. Yeah. I'd be very curious to see Mad's take on it. Since oh, I feel like they've yeah. always done a good job of having like a very non- partisan skewering of everybody right that exists yeah so yeah might be worth checking out one day yeah but that's for our next podcast a retrospective <laughs> into every issue of mad magazine oh my god <laughs> was that gonna be like 600 episodes <laughs> <laughs> so uh yeah michael is not a fan of mad unfortunately but he is gonna get his fine arts aficionado monthly so all is well <laughs> <laughs> From here, we move on to Dwight and Michael in the car on the way to the condo. Dwight asks him about uh, what kind of shocks his car has. <laughs> Says, you know, just the usual ones. You know, nothing fancy, not my style. <laughs> just yeah, just, just stock. Yeah. And Dwight uh, immediately starts trying to put the top down so that uh, people could see them. <laughs> right, yeah. So, uh, interesting tidbit. Mm -hmm. I guess one of the show producers or maybe one of the writers put a list together of a bunch of different cars that they were gonna use for this scene or, or potentially use and bj novak is quoted as saying that he figured this was the showiest car that michael could afford and was the cheapest convertible on the market at the time so the sebring yeah nice yeah the chrysler <laughs> sebring convertible that's great because yeah. yeah i think this is definitely the first time we see it and then you know it features a little more heavily in Next right. week's episode. And while they were filming this first scene in Michael's Sebring, a cameraman broke the back window and ended up being $859 to replace. Ouch. I think they had just leased this car, rented it. For I mean, that filming. makes sense. Yeah. Why would they buy it? Right. So, yeah, fun little trivia fact there. Actually, you know what? If this is the first time we're seeing the Sebring and the first time they had the Sebring, what was the car that Ryan was cleaning all the filet of fish wrappers out of. Oh, yeah, that's a good point. I don't know. We should go back and check that out. Yeah, it could yeah. be a Sebring. Huh. I mean, yeah, I just happened upon this quote. Okay, so maybe that was, research. yeah, not yeah. necessarily prior to this episode. Right. It could have just been in general. Right. I see. Because, yeah, I feel like when, they, when they're when they cleaning out his car in the Hot Girl episode, uh, the top is down as, okay. as they're cleaning it. Yeah, you're right. It's definitely convertible. So that makes sense that yeah. it would still be the Sebring. Yeah. Yeah, he loves that Sebring. <laughs> yeah, he does. I love how often he brings it up to by brand name. Right. Like when he has Michael Scott Paper Company, 
They will be personally delivered to you in a Sebring. (laughs) (laughs) When he has Michael Scott Paper Company come back to Dunder Mifflin, one of his demands is a Sebring convertible. (laughs) Oh, yeah. (laughs) Charles tells him they don't make them anymore. (laughs) (laughs) Michael doesn't want to take the top down, but Dwight pretty much just does it before he can react, and he begrudgingly says fine. And uh, then we see... uh, Dwight take out his sunglasses and show them off to Michael. Check it out. Terminator. I don't know what you spend your money on, Dwight. <laughs> <laughs> and I love that they're also there. Are they even Terminator style glasses? I don't think that they're no, no, remotely they're similar to anything that's worn in any of the Terminator movies. No, they're not. They're just these kind of, it's that old, uh, Kind of wavy shark Oakley shape. Right. Yeah, exactly. Like, Except they're not Oakleys. No. Yeah, they're Oakley knockoffs, they look like. Not, yeah. Not branded as Oakleys, but like have a similar design. And uh, it's the sunglasses you could pick up in any gas station for right. like two ninety nine. Yeah, exactly. Yep. <laughs> but Dwight's pretty proud of them. Michael's not impressed. <laughs> so from here, we cut back to the office. Jim goes over to Oscar to double check that the expense reports have to be filled from the previous quarter. And uh, Oscar says, yeah, you know, it's kind of annoying, but they do. And I think I missed this, actually. As Jim's walking up, we see Oscar flicking something onto Kevin's desk. And the second Jim gets up there, he says, stop, stop, stop. And Kevin, you know, kind of hides whatever they're doing. Which is funny to me because, you know, Jim doesn't strike me as the type of guy who's going to, like, run to Michael and tell on them. No. And there are later episodes where Jim is put in charge of the office when Michael and Dwight leave. And this isn't one of them, so. Yeah. If anything, it it almost seems like Michael put Pam in charge. Because he was the one asking her, like, make sure everybody gets their expense reports in. Mm -hmm. Yeah. Even though Oscar is the one collecting all the expense reports. Right. But anyhow, so yeah, he hides it from Jim. Uh, Jim notices uh, scores underneath Oscar's hand that relate to the paper football that Oscar was flicking, and he asks him about it. And uh, he sees that, yeah, Oscar shows him they have scores dating back two years, uh-huh. and it's for a paper football game. Uh, paper football. Did I say that weird? No, I that just was right. I said it weird. That was okay. right, yeah. Anyway, uh, yeah. <laughs> for a game they play whenever Michael's out of the office or they're bored. And they're bored a lot. <laughs> and they call it hate ball. And Jim asks why. Why so, do you call it that? <laughs> how much Angela hates it. <laughs> we see Angela giving a very disapproving look. And then, yeah, oh yeah, Jim asks what other games they play or if they know of any other ones. Yep. <laughs> it's like, sometimes we like to see how many M&Ms we can fit in our mouth at once. Oh, it wasn't, it was just Kevin, Yeah. Well, I think he said oh, did we, say we, and then <laughs> Angela said, no, Kevin, that's just you. Right. <laughs> <laughs> and uh, so, yeah, from here we cut back to Michael and Dwight. They have now made it to the condo, presumably. Standing in the middle of the street, Michael is pointing out his house. He says, you know, I could just really imagine my grandkids learning to walk here in yeah. this front yard. He's visualizing his future. Yeah, I could have a tire, string, a tire swing set up on this tree. He says, oh, wait, that's actually, that's not, that's not the right one. It's this one. He yeah. turns around. It's the one they're standing in front of. Oh, <laughs> uh, that's so funny. Because yeah. it is, it's just like, it's a bunch of townhomes on a street. And they're all cookie cutter. Yeah, they, look, they all look exactly the same. Yeah. It's an understandable mistake, but still funny how nostalgic, pre-nostalgic he's getting <laughs> yeah. over this. Yeah. 
But I feel like Michael, I, I think this might be one of the first times we see that trait where he does that a lot, gets very nostalgic for things that have not happened yet and may never happen. Oh, yeah. He's got a... Yeah. Whenever he thinks about <laughs> his future, it's always very romantic. Yeah. You know? Instead of hanging out with you, I should have been at the bar meeting women to make babies. <laughs> <laughs> right. Nice babies you're making with the floozies at the bar. That's my wife you're talking about, man. <laughs> Yes. Uh, can't wait for that. Yeah. Well, not for a while. I know. But, you know, keep hope. <laughs> hope grows in a dump. <laughs> little teaser. <laughs> teaser appetizer. Mm-hmm. So, anyway, uh, we cut from Michael and Dwight back to Jim and Toby playing Dunderball that uh, maybe I forgot to mention. Oscar. Yeah, directs Jim, Jim yeah. yeah, to go over to Toby to show him Dunderball. Yep, and uh, we see them bouncing a ball on a wall to each other as Kelly stands there laughing. Right. And uh, they did have a deleted scene where we see Toby explaining the rules of Dunderball. Right. And uh, They have a piece of blue tape. Yeah. Taped to the wall. And Jim says he was always wondering why I was there, and Toby says Michael asked about it, and he just pretended he didn't hear him until he left. <laughs> And, uh, yeah, you know, I, I feel like that was a good cut. Yeah, not really it's, important. To yeah, plot. there wasn't much humor there. It didn't really add anything. Right. I feel like we completely get everything we need to get from them just bouncing a ball. Exactly. Dunder, saying, oh, Dunder, that's what this sound has always been. Dunderball's not that complicated. No, it is not. And <laughs> it looks like it doesn't even make the official Olympic Games. Right. Or at least if it does, it's not a portion of them that we see. It's true. But from here, we cut back to Michael and Dwight back at the condo. And, uh, yeah, we got a clip here, but, uh, I also just wanted to bring up that this is the second episode that now half of which takes place outside of the office after the Dundies. Yep. So seeing that grow Mm -hmm. and I feel like I love their scenes in the office, but it really shines a lot of times when they're out and about just being ridiculous. Yeah. Seeing the characters interact with people in the outside world, not just in their bubble really Mm -hmm. like highlights their quirks. Yeah, I like that it's just these very bizarre, quirky people that work together. Everyone else who they interact with seems very grounded in reality. Right, just... (laughs) It's a weird juxtaposition. Ordinary, yeah, logical, practical people. Yep, like the deleted scene that uh, I guess I didn't know when to bring it up because it seems like, if anything, it probably would have happened prior to this scene since once we see them go inside the condo, we don't really see them go outside it until they get back to the office. Right. Or, or in the car on the way back. Mm-hmm. But, uh, yeah, when Michael meets his neighbor in that one deleted scene, his neighbor's none other than Greg Daniels. That's right. And loses patience with Michael pretty quickly. Yeah. <laughs> Michael asks him uh, what the neighborhood's like. He says, yes, usually it's pretty quiet. Well, that's all about to change. <laughs> Why? <laughs> Seems very upset by the prospect that Michael likes to party all the time. We're going to have a lot of parties, a lot of people <laughs> over here. Well, okay, but there's an 11 o'clock sound curfew (laughs) what do you think about me parking my sebring here with the top down do you think people are gonna you know maybe try to steal things out of my car (laughs) just shuts the door just slowly backs up into his home and shuts the door i love michael's response to greg daniels shutting the door in his face all right see you soon (laughs) (laughs) so good um but yeah anyhow now that they're inside the condo we uh see Michael meet his realtor, Carol. Oh. And uh, 
the head of the condo association, Mr. Mr. Bill. Bill. And we got a clip. Michael, this is Bill. He's the head of the condo association. Oh, hey, how are you? Nice to meet you, Bill. Bill, Mr. Bill. Oh, no! <laughs> Mr. Bill! <laughs> SNL. When they pull him apart. You would always get rolled over by something. Nice to meet you. Nice to meet you, too. This is smaller than your old place. Yes, well, I'm buying it and I'm not renting it. So it's still an upgrade. He doesn't know anything about property ownership. He's kind of an idiot. Um. <laughs> I love that Dwight is standing literally like inches behind him when he says this. Yeah. <laughs> and doesn't react. No. I think uh, Dwight, deep down, despite the reverence that he shows Michael, knows that he's definitely smarter than Michael. So, Right. If you have someone that's clearly an idiot calling you an idiot, how much is it going to affect you? No. Yeah. So he could take it in stride. Although maybe he can't. He also said, uh, you know, Michael's advice, don't be an idiot, change his life. (laughs) Great advice hurts his feelings every time. (laughs) (laughs) That's great. So, yeah, that is Carol and Mr. Bill. Uh, Carol, Steve Carell, or ah, Michael's realtor is played by Nancy Carell. No relation, but they are married. (laughs) Uh, She was born on July 19th, 1966. She is a comedian and a writer as well as an actor. And she's best known for Saturday Night Live, The Daily Show, and, of course, The Office. Um, yeah, she got her start in Second City in Chicago. She went on to join SNL from 1995 to 96. I believe 1995 is also the same year she married Steve Carell. So they were already married for, I guess, 10 years by the time this episode aired, which is pretty neat. That is. And, um, yeah, I think she met Steve Carell in Second City. I want to say he was her improv coach. So... I'm sure she got good at improv, having to deal with someone immediately pulling out a gun at the beginning of every scene. You have to think on your feet. <laughs> and yeah, she was a correspondent on The Daily Show. She voiced Helen Good in the Mike Judge-created series The Good Family, which I have not seen, but feel like I need to check out. Yeah, for real. I, I When I read that earlier, I was like, I had no idea Mike Judge did a show called The Goods. No, The Good Family. The yeah, good I don't family, know how I missed yeah. it. Um, yeah, apparently The Good Family is also the first time she was credited as Nancy Carell instead of Nancy Walls. And she and Steve Carell also created the TBS comedy series Angie Tribeca, starring Rashida Jones, which I, I totally forgot until reading this earlier today, but I think I downloaded the first season of this show a while back and intended to watch it and then just completely forgot with other stuff that came up. But I've heard it's great. Nice. Yeah. So we should definitely add that to our ever-growing list of, I think we're only up to like 110 things we need to check out. So this will be number 111. And um, in addition to those things, uh, she and Steve also have two children, a daughter named Elizabeth and a son named John. So pretty cool. Uh, Let's get back to the episode. Right after this... uh, scene of uh michael calling dwight kind of an idiot and saying he doesn't know anything about property ownership is this the first time we learn about shrew farms yes okay so yeah we get a little aside with dwight where he talks about how he actually owns a nine acre beet farm 
and he runs it with his cousin Mose. He holds up a picture, and Mose is played by Michael Schur. And um, yeah, so he knows quite a lot about real estate. Yep, and it's the first. It's the first time we see Michael Schur as Mose, and Mose is actually based off of a character from a reality show that was on UPN. Really? Yeah. Wow. Uh, what was it called? Amish in the City. Huh. Yep. Interesting. And apparently some of the writers were, up to this point, would joke with Michael Schur about being Moe's from that reality show. Oh, they just look a lot alike or something? Something. I don't know. I don't know why. I don't know what the joke was. But, huh. uh, yeah. So then in the second season of The Office, it, that joke made it into the show. Very cool. And that's how Michael Schur became Moe's. I did notice that in the picture Dwight held up, uh, Moe's did not have the Amish chin beard that's kind of his signature look. That's I true. I think the first time we meet him in person and then continuing on. Right. His face was dirty like it normally is, though. Yes. <laughs> <laughs> I do live and work on a farm. Yep. <laughs> Don't pick up that manure, Moe's. Don't throw it! <laughs> uh. Moe's? Um... <laughs> So, yeah, we cut back to uh, Dwight and Michael uh, back inside the condo, and Dwight says that Michael is not ready to sign because they have a ton of questions, and uh, Carol cuts them off uh, with Mr. Bill (laughs) and says, uh, you know, it's a very safe neighborhood, very accommodating of all sorts of lifestyles, (laughs) to which Michael confusedly responds, uh, you know, okay. (laughs) She senses that he's not getting it. You know, it's very gay friendly. Looks at Dwight. (laughs) He says, oh, well, that's good to be accommodating of that. (laughs) And then Dwight cuts them off to uh, say, let's go check out the master bedroom. Yeah. (laughs) Perfect timing, as always. (laughs) So uh, we cut to Michael in what appears to be the living room, and he's showing off where he plans to mount a plasma screen TV on the wall. Oh, no. I thought that was in the master bedroom. That was my first assumption because Uh it cuts away from Dwight saying, you know, let's check out the master bedroom. Yeah. But then I noticed upon pausing and looking closer in that scene, the sliding door going out to the back patio is behind them. And you can see the lawn and the patio behind them, like at their level. And the bedrooms both appear to be on the upper level. Okay. Yeah. Fair enough. So I guess he uh, is accurately forecasting where he is going to mount his plasma screen TV on the wall. But you know what's funny about that is when they walk into that room, he points and he's like, there's the cable outlet. And then on the opposite wall (laughs) is where he wants to mount the plasma screen TV, which I thought was hilarious. (laughs) Or I put it on an arm so you can push it right into the wall (laughs) if you don't need it. (laughs) Oh. And uh, Dwight warns him, don't put a plasma screen TV on that wall. It's a shared wall, so if the neighbor throws his wife into the wall, TV's coming down. <laughs> Broken TV. Well, I'll get the warranty. It's not going to cover that. Yeah. Well, then I won't get the warranty. <laughs> and, uh, yeah, then uh, Dwight cuts Michael off, says, do you hear that? And puts his ear to the wall, and uh, we hear what I first thought was a tuba, but I guess it's a cello. Yeah, it sounded yeah. like a cello. Okay, you would know more than me. Well, well, you there's would. also the comment in the deleted scene about yeah, Dwight makes a sarcastic remark called the neighbor Yo-Yo Ma. Yes, yeah, who is not a famous tuba player. 
No, but isn't is he a cello player or violin or I think it's both. Honestly. Yeah, I think it is both. Yeah, I think you can give any stringed instrument to Yo Yo Ma and he'll blow you away with what he plays. But I feel like maybe he did get known for the cello initially. Oh, really? Yeah. Okay. I, I, I mean, I could be wrong, but yeah, for some reason, actually, yeah, and in, in Seinfeld, actually, they reference him as a cellist as well. Okay. Because when Kramer gets his head injury and starts randomly shouting out Yo Yo Ma, <laughs> oh right. George asks, what's Yo-Yo Ma? And Jerry says, he's a cellist. <laughs> That's right. <laughs> so, uh, yeah, they uh, have a cello coming pretty clearly through the walls. Mm-hmm. Yeah, what does Dwight say? <laughs> Dwight puts his ear up to him. He's like, oh, these babies are thin. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> <laughs> so, yeah, we cut back to the office where Jim is lighting a scented candle that he got from the men's restroom. To start off the Dunder Mifflin Olympics. <laughs> we are gathered here, 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 here. <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> to light the eternal flame, 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 flame. <laughs> that represents... Smells like cookies. Competition. Yeah. <laughs> yes, it does smell like cookies. <laughs> um, so yeah, the office is going to be competing in the Dunder Mifflin Olympics. And they're going to compete for gold, silver, and bronze yogurt lids. But the bronze are actually blue, and they're the backsides of the gold lids. So <laughs> no flipping. <laughs> As explained by Pam. Honor system, people. Yep. Uh, right when they announce this, Angela abruptly leaves. Of course. And, yep, we get an aside from her explaining that she does play games, just not at work. Mm-hmm. She likes to dangle things in front of her cats. Oh, yeah, this is the first... Uh... Mm-hmm. inkling that we we learned that Angela is... I don't even know if calling her a cat person is accurate because she kind of takes it to another level. Yeah, I think she's the crazy cat person. <laughs> yeah. That's definitely where she's at with it. Yep. Yeah, I think... What does she pay later in the series for a show cat who's... Uh, <laughs> yeah. Whose parent was in... Or whose yeah, mother or father was in Meet the Parents... Oh, that's right. And she says she paid seven or eight thousand dollars. Oh my god, that is nuts. That is. Yeah, I love my cat, but I want to say he cost a hundred bucks, and that was only because he was a kitten. <laughs> yeah. If I got him when he was like a year old, he would have been like fifteen, twenty bucks. Right. Seems reasonable. Yeah. <laughs> you go outside, you just find a cat. You know, <laughs> you need to pay a thousand bucks for one. Right. And I'm sure the cat will be pretty grateful. But yeah, Angela likes her cats, so. From here, we cut back again to Michael at his condo, and he is getting ready to sign his mortgage papers. And then I just need you to sign here at this era. What kind of mortgage did you get? Uh, Ten-year. Well, ten over thirty, so thirty-year total. What? What? You said ten. Ten-year fixed, over thirty, thirty-year total. Oh, thirty years. Okay, okay. okay. Wow, you'll be paying this off in your mid-70s. All right. <laughs> Forget about retiring when you're 65. Hey, I have an idea. You know that extra bedroom? If the whole girlfriend thing never happens, that's where the nurse can live. Okay, all right. Oh, boy. Yeah, this is it. Whenever you're ready. Yeah. Um. Oh, okay. Is that supposed to come off? Hey, look, cool. Actually, yeah. Carpenter ants. Um, I'm going to take a little uh, breather for a second. Right. Excuse me. It'll be here waiting for you. Oh, man. 
A 30-year mortgage at Michael's age essentially means that he's buying a coffin. If I were buying my coffin, I would get one with thicker walls so you couldn't hear the other dead people. <laughs> I love that the cello in the background also sounds like very dreary. Yeah, it's so mournful. <laughs> Steve Carell's wife in this scene, Nancy, or Carol. Yeah. The the expression of annoyance on her face seems so genuine. Yes. <laughs> <laughs> I feel like it's perfect that she's playing this role because I don't think anyone else would have been able to pull that off quite as well. Yeah. <laughs> no, I feel like, I mean, Steve Carell's a great actor and he has great chemistry with everybody. Yeah. But I wish that Carol, I mean, we'll see more of her, which is great, but I wish that she played a bigger part in the whole series because they... Yeah. I mean, you, you know, they're both talented enough that you can't tell they're married unless you know it, obviously, or that they even, you know, have a relationship necessarily. But they, on a deeper level, you totally, like, they just click and can bounce off and read each other Yeah, just so well. It's true. And I feel like, yeah, she just is so good at, like, just being very genuine dealing with him and his craziness. <laughs> and by all accounts, she seems like a pretty normal woman who's not that idiosyncratic. Right. Not that detached from reality as Michael is. <laughs> it seems like a good realtor. <laughs> I love Michael also backing up, uh, kind of stumbling backwards into the stove. And then the the burner grill comes off and saying, oh, that's supposed to come off. Yeah, actually it is. <laughs> oh, cool. Carpenter ants. <laughs> yeah. Dwight. Dwight is amazing. <laughs> I wonder if he's like consciously trying to like low level freak michael out about about his decision to buy this condo yeah i mean he he's, he's definitely not helping encourage no, him no he's not <laughs> but maybe he thinks it's genuinely a bad purchasing choice and he's trying to help michael not knowing you know the finer details of how right michael has already put down enough money that is non-refundable at this point right but, i mean he could back out but wouldn't be the best idea no definitely be a ding oh yeah his finances <laughs> yeah no dwight's being great though i mean but he is you know very critical of the unit talking about the thin walls i mean all of his yeah <laughs> all of the points he brings up are very valid <laughs> but then yeah i mean it's it's hard to say i feel like that's part of dwight's brilliance is it's hard to tell if he's being purposefully antagonistic or just inadvertently antagonistic right <laughs> when Michael goes out to take a breather, <laughs> oh, it'll be here when you get back. <laughs> <laughs> and I love how genuinely excited he is to discover carpenter ants too. It's like, yeah. it's like the same tone as like a seventh grader at a science museum. Like, Oh, cool. <laughs> carpenter ants. And he lives on a beet farm. <laughs> yep. <laughs> There's probably insects galore out there. Yeah. But he does appreciate them. Yeah. Talks about bat weevils. <laughs> yeah, that's right. Um, so yeah, from here we cut back to the office where Jim is presenting a game that will be known as Flonkerton. It seems like Pam just came up with that on the spot. Yeah, I think she did. She's, uh, she's good at that. She is. Yeah. She's great at coming up with names. Yeah. <laughs> and uh, it's basically a box of paper uh, snowshoe racing. You just strap a box of paper to the right. bottom of your feet and race. This is a great episode because we get a lot of, uh, you know, we 
we've gotten to know some of these characters now at this point, but mm-hmm. now we get to see these characters in situations where they're not necessarily being themselves. Like Phyllis, like poking her head in and, and being like, oh, I, I, I want to try. Mm-hmm. You know, kind of coming out of her shell a little bit and like wants to have fun with everybody. Yeah. And I love that playing off of the name Flonkerton, Jim lifts up a strap on one of the paper boxes and he's like, so here we go, Phyllis, just put your foot on, underneath this flunk. <laughs> <laughs> right. <laughs> yeah. And yeah, I think the only person who's not involved at this point is Angela. Right. Even Stanley. Even Stanley's in getting in on the action. But, but I think we brushed past it earlier, maybe, yeah. didn't even bring it up, that when Jim goes to his desk to ask him if he has any games, <laughs> what is his response? It's called keep your head down and work hard or something like along yeah. those lines. Like <laughs> Work hard so you can pay for your kid to go to college. <laughs> yeah, that's right. Yeah. Fair enough. <laughs> but if there's anything we've also, we also learn about Stanley, it's that uh, he just, he does what he can to run out the clock. He does. Every day. But he does have the most consistent sales figures of any person in the office. Oh, really? Yeah. We find that out in season eight. Okay. Yeah. Andy is uh, defending Stanley to Robert California. That's uh, one of his his defenses. Yeah, did you know that he may seem unlovable? Stanley is in a committed relationship with two different women. (laughs) Has the most consistent sales figures of anybody in the company. (laughs) He responds, uh, I was not aware of the sales figures. (laughs) 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 So, yeah, he's good at his job. And he runs out the clock. He does it all. So, um, yeah, from here we have a little clip of Pam talking about Jim. Is this over like a montage of... No. No, it's just, just very a brief talking clip. head. Yeah, okay. just talking head. Well, I guess there's some scenes behind it of Jim just kind of rot, like getting people amped up, but, I mean, not much to talk about. The thing about Jim is when he's excited about something like the office olympics he gets really into it and he does a really great job but the problem with jim is that he works here so that hardly ever happens yeah so a little explanation of jim and i feel like more importantly than that it's just uh we get this insight from pam you know showing that she knows him better than everyone else and appreciates these qualities that he doesn't necessarily bring to the table most of the time yeah, and, that's a good uh, point. Yeah, has seen and acknowledged them. And I feel like I don't know if we've had any clips of Pam yet on the show, and I felt like that is kind of a crime. So we needed some, some oh, on honorable this, Pamara on, this. on our show. Yeah. Oh. Maybe we have. I think we have. Well, either way. Yeah. Pam back in the saddle. <laughs> <laughs> Talking about Slim Jim. That's right. Yep. Slim Jim. <laughs> um. So, yeah, we... Uh, See, uh, as you just brought up, you know, Jim asks who's going to challenge Kevin to Flonkerton, and Phyllis pokes her head in, like you mentioned. Mm -hmm. Offers to. Jim goes to help her put her foot in the flonk. Oh, yeah, you do have that in here. Okay. (laughs) Yeah. I love that. (laughs) I don't think I've ever really caught that before. Yeah. Yeah. (laughs) The flonk. Right. And uh, now we go back to Michael, who has still not signed his condo papers and is uh, complaining to Carol that he thinks the ceilings are definitely lower (laughs) than they were last week. and. (laughs) You know, is this even the same unit that you saw before? I love the look she gives him at this point. <laughs> yeah, like, just, what the ceiling? <laughs> you are off your fucking rocker, man. Where are all the hot people? I was told there was going to be a ton of young, attractive people here. Who told as far you as that? I could tell, I'm the best looking person here. 
<laughs> and then don't we get a talking head about yeah it's a basic principle of real estate <laughs> you should never be the best looking person in the development it's just common sense because if you are there's nowhere to go but down <laughs> so uh yeah we get back to michael where he says that uh he feels like he's being taken advantage of this is not what he agreed to and he demands a price reduction or he is a walk-in Carol tells him that if he walks, he's going to lose $7,000. <laughs> and uh, we cut to Michael and Dwight sitting on the floor eating fast food. He made the right decision. He's yeah. a homeowner now, diversifying. <laughs> he's kind of like looking around the room and shaking his head or nodding his head. And he's like, I made a good decision. <laughs> and now Dwight's being supportive again. Totally. <laughs> this is fun, right? You imagine what those poor saps stuck at the office are doing? <laughs> So we come back to the office, and uh, Kevin and Phyllis are racing the flonks. That's right. And uh, Phyllis wins by nose and gets the gold medal. <laughs> Everyone's cheering him on. Uh, we move on to the M&M event where Kevin is pouring a oh, ridiculous amount of M&Ms into his mouth. Just pouring <laughs> off the side of his mouth onto the ground. How many M&Ms do you think made it in there, <laughs> if you had to guess? I've always been bad at those at those games where you have to like as bad as Kevin guess the quantity in a <laughs> jar for like an auction or something. About the episode where Kevin is trying to guess uh, how many jelly beans oh, yeah. Pam's thing. What does he guess? Fourteen. I was gonna say he like <laughs> low balls it like crazy. <laughs> so, yeah, it's fourteen, and it's obviously like more than like fifty or sixty. Yeah, yeah I think Ryan's right. like you could see more than fourteen right. on like that's, this side. That's right. <laughs> Yeah, I don't know how many he got in there, but it looked like a lot of it. Oh, yeah. So. Yeah. He gets the gold medal, and uh, Jim recommends that nobody else even <laughs> try it. Yeah. <laughs> and uh, Actually, I think he gets two gold medals. Does that. he get two? Yeah. Oh, I didn't catch that. Yeah. I think uh, Jim says, yeah, something along the lines of, like, you know, Kevin obviously wins. No one else should even try. Give him the golds. And Pam <laughs> gives him two gold medals. Nice. Yeah. And, uh, yeah, now we cut back to the condo, and uh, we see Michael has decided he's got an interesting proposition for Dwight. There's something else, Dwight, I want to talk to you about. I have a surprise for you for helping me out today. Oh, you didn't have to. No, no, I insist. I insist, because you've really done some great work. Great work. And that is why I am going to let you move into my third bedroom and pay me rent why did I do it? Because I believe in rewarding people for their efforts. Uh, I rewarded Dwight with the room, and he is rewarding me back with uh, $500 plus utilities. I don't even know what to say. I'm thinking lock into a four-year commitment. We'll go month to month after that, or until I start dating, have a girlfriend, and then you're you know, you're gone, so. Question, where can I put my terrarium? What the hell is a terrarium? It's a fish tank for snakes and lizards. Oh, so an aquarium. Uh, that will not come into this place, okay? Question, oh, my, my grandparents left me a large number of armoires. <laughs> <laughs> I like how Dwight is like playing along, like he's actually considering 
moving in there. Yeah. Well, he knows he knows how to deal with Michael. You know, it's not <laughs> yeah. going to offend him by turning it down. It's funny. There's been a number of times now where you you see Jim manipulate Michael, and now we're seeing Dwight do it. Like it's just funny that the writers have these characters already knowing Michael so well. Yeah. <laughs> when we're just like still getting to know them. Mm-hmm. And I mean, Dwight does explain. When he's talking about how he's uh, the Butch Cassidy to Michael's Mozart, that he's been his right hand man for five years. Yeah, right. So he understands him. Oh yeah, and uh, yeah, I love Dwight's look at the camera when Michael. Says, oh yeah, like an aquarium. <laughs> <laughs> One of Dwight's classic. Like I don't even know how to describe it. It's like he's wrong, but I'm not going to correct him. But it's I'm the gonna Dwight look. face. Yeah, 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 it is. It's that's the Dwight face if there is one. I think my favorite Dwight face is when he's doing the video for Michael's future non-existent son, and he's showing him how to jumpstart a car. You just take this thing and clip it to anything, and take this other one and put it wherever. And Dwight just turns the camera in front of his own face, just solemnly shakes his head back and forth before turning it back to Michael. Oh, <laughs> uh, that's good. Yep. <laughs> So, uh, yeah, we get back into the office again. The office games are continuing. In the background, uh, well, in the background, they're continuing. In the foreground, we see Pam sidle up to Angela and uh, try to get her into the game, saying, you know, you don't have any games in the office? You don't want to partake? She says she does have one game. She counts how often Jim gets up to go to Pam's desk. She calls it Pam Pong. (laughs) Pam says that they're friends. Angela says, yeah, apparently. And, uh... Pam leaves her alone. Mm-hmm. I feel like Angela gives an almost imperceptible little kind of half smirk. Yeah. And this is the first time we really um, get an idea that other people in the office are kind of aware of Jim and Pam's flirtations. Mm-hmm. At least Angela. But I would imagine there's other people who have noticed too. Oh, yeah. Yeah. I mean, Phyllis says we'll see soon enough. Yeah. And I think that's why Pam gets uncomfortable because she's just realizing this for the first time maybe oh yeah yeah i think that all culminates in the karate episode when they get a little too into uh horsing around and play fighting and she gets pretty angry and upset with jim when he picks her up off the ground and uh meredith turns around and notices them and kind of smirks right yeah Mm. she doesn't want to get a reputation as a hussy (laughs) (laughs) so yeah Angela is not joining in the games. We move on to Stanley is now playing horse with Philip or Philip. Jeez. <laughs> <laughs> Baby Philip. <laughs> Stanley's playing horse with Phyllis. He has H O R and Jim informs Phyllis. She has H O. She says, Are you calling me a hoe? <laughs> <laughs> Phyllis coming alive. I love it. <laughs> and uh, now we've got a clip of the final continuation of uh michael and dwight discussing their uh future living situation yes the (laughs) terms of the rental yes question what about carpooling uh who pays for the gas we take separate cars good question because sometimes i drive your car and you drive mine why would we do that just for fun no okay question who's the primary on the fire insurance game over offer revolt dwight I'm sorry, but you reach out and you try to be a nice guy and help out a friend, and this is what happens. This is what I get. Oh, God, I'm... Okay. 
Oh, thank God. It was nice of him to offer, but I live in a nine-bedroom farmhouse. I have my own crossbow range. It's a perfect situation for me. Although two bathrooms would have been nice. We just have the one. And it's under the porch. <laughs> oh man, that that uh like air horn sound yeah. that Michael hey. makes. You can just Game over. <laughs> all, all of that anger that's been building up ever since Dwight's been asking questions, it just is all released in that quick sound. It's hilarious. <laughs> Oh man, I feel like this is the most visibly agitated we've ever seen. Uh, Michael, Michael, yeah, yeah, I'd go with you there. <laughs> <laughs> just the little noises he makes as he huffs his way out of the room. Just, uh, <laughs> God, okay, okay, <laughs> and uh, yeah, Dwight doing a pretty masterful job at dissuading Michael from wanting him to take the third bedroom as magnanimous as that offer was. <laughs> I love the, I think it'll lock you into a four year lease Yeah, <laughs> month to month after that four year <laughs> rental agreement, unless I get a girlfriend and then you're gone. <laughs> <laughs> Sounds great. Oh man. Um, so yeah, back in the office, the office crew is now crowded around the elevator in the hallway and uh, they all cheer when someone gets out of the elevator and Ryan wins the gold medal for correctly guessing that the next person to get out of the elevator is going to Vance Refrigeration. I imagine either as a client or an employee. doesn't really matter. Mm-hmm. As they go back into the office, Pam pulls Jim aside to show him a box of doves. We don't know they're doves necessarily yet, but a box of paper birds that she says she made for the closing ceremonies. Jim gives her a high five, says nice work. Oh, and he also asks where she got the time to do that. She says she uh, put the phone on auto answer. Yeah, automatic voicemail. Yeah. Mm-hmm. So in the background, we see Angela notes down their interaction on her little notepad and sinks back behind her divider. <laughs> so there's a <laughs> uh, funny little Easter egg in this scene. Is there? Yes. So when everybody's coming back from the elevators, when uh, they were guessing who was coming out next, mm-hmm. Stanley's one of the first people to walk by. And then you see Jim and Pam stop, and Pam shows Jim the doves. And then the camera cuts to oh, cuts to Angela, and then cuts back to Jim and Pam. And then you see Stanley walking in again, talking to oh, Ryan. Oh, really? Yeah. I did not notice that. Yeah. That's funny. <laughs> <laughs> nice. Um, yeah, we cut back to Dwight and Michael, who are now in the car on the way back. And uh, Dwight seems to be trying to make Michael feel better. Telling him he can always refinance his mortgage and that uh, he paid off his 15-year mortgage on his beet farm early. <laughs> Michael immediately just starts attacking Dwight. Why do you grow beets? Nobody likes beets. <laughs> Dwight says everybody loves beets. No, they don't. How do you grow something everybody does like? Like candy. Candy. I could go for some candy right now. Not a beet. And then Dwight immediately tries to lower the top again. <laughs> yeah. Let's get this top Let's down. Let's get this top down. <laughs> and Michael slaps his hand away. <laughs> um, so, yeah, we see uh, back at the office, Oscar and Toby are now racing each other around the room with full coffee mugs. Mm-hmm. As the door opens and Dwight and Michael walk in wordlessly. And immediately everybody just stops what they're doing and sits back down to their desk. Goes back to work. Yeah. Just, like silently. 
Business as usual again. Yep. Jim is left standing in the middle of the room holding a stopwatch. Says, really? You know, that's that's it? Everyone's done? You don't want to finish? Right. Dwight comes up and says, that's my stopwatch. And Jim uh, <laughs> just gives it back to him, sits back down. Yeah. Uh, we see Jim giving Oscar his expense reports, and he explains to the camera that he finished his reports, and he closed two sales after lunch, so it's about as productive as any other day. Maybe more so. <laughs> <laughs> we see Ryan go up to the, or maybe, was he sitting at his desk, or was he, like, kind of walking as he did this? Yeah, he was walking from the copier to his desk, right. I believe. And He threw away his gold uh, yogurt lid in front of Pam, who looked a little bummed out. Yeah. And uh, he explains, you know, he could either, it was really nice of Pam to make them, but he could either throw it away now or hold on to it for a couple of weeks and then throw it away. Right, yeah, put it in his desk and yeah. throw it away in a couple of months. And uh, I feel like this is kind of one of the first indications we see of Ryan that he completely lacks any sense of sentimentality for anything like this. I mean, especially when it comes to his temporary job at a paper company. Yes, and it's understandable. If anything, yeah. I feel like Ryan is being more gracious than right. he ever is in later seasons at this moment. And even bothering to say that it was nice of Pam to make these yogurt lids. Yeah, he doesn't really have any connection with these people yet. And no, he's definitely not interested in like actively seeking out a connection. So No, he doesn't want to be the something guy. Guy, you yeah. know. <laughs> Was that in the first season, I think? No, that's in the next oh, episode. That, that's the next episode? Yeah. Well, that's fitting. Right. <laughs> um, but yeah, he is not a big fan. And so. to be honest, if I were in his position, I'd probably have the same thought go through my head. I, I may not have thrown out the medal in front of the person who made it. Yeah. But I likely would not have held on to them beyond the events that they were created for. Yeah, honestly, if I was a temp at that office, I think I would have. Yeah, I'm agree. I agree with you there. I would not have thrown it out directly in front of Pam, but I think I would have thrown it out while I was walking back into the office from the hallway immediately after being handed it. Well, the events were still taking place at that point. I'm just saying that if it's me, I <laughs> no, think I still okay. would have just <laughs> thrown it away right then. I feel like I'm the kind of person that when someone gives me like a card, I'm just like I'll read it and be like, oh, that's really nice, and then like as I'm like. Looking at them, I'm just like slowly putting it into a nearby garbage bin. <laughs> what do you? What am I to do with this now, though? That's really funny. I'm <laughs> I'm the complete opposite. I go through like paperwork or you know stuff that I've accumulated over time, and I throw away what I don't need. Mm -hmm. Whenever a greeting card comes up in that pile, I always feel compelled to keep it. Wow, I don't know why. Yeah, well, that's nice. I think my family puts a lot of importance on greeting cards and like that so my family always did and i've fought it my whole life yeah because i just i can't stand them true yeah <laughs> yep not for everyone yeah i hear you i mean i feel sentimental about plenty of things but just not like you know those yeah yeah it depends on the card you know if somebody either made me a card or if they got one of those blank cards and they wrote something touching or personal or meaningful yeah then maybe i'll hold on to that that's the thing is my grandmother and my mother both usually write like a paragraph worth of yeah well, my family and, does that too and i don't keep those so maybe i just <laughs> <laughs> it's one usually of the, it's stuff that like i feel like you know could be said in a phone conversation and probably will be in the next few days anyway so yeah true yeah yeah it's one of those things that i think about like will i be disappointed 
you know, 30, 40 years from now when these people are gone that I don't have this little memento. Well, that's nice. Yeah. I never really thought about it that way before. True. Yeah, now I feel bummed out about all the parts <laughs> I've thrown out. I'm sorry. All the memories. <laughs> what have I done with my life, Rob? <laughs> well, it was really nice of my grandma to make those cards. And now the memory of throwing them away is all I have left. Uh-huh. <laughs> I'm just kidding. Yeah. Kind of. I don't have the cards, but <laughs> I have plenty of other memories. <laughs> I love you, Grandma. <laughs> so, uh, yeah, Jim goes up to Pam's desk. Pam tells him that she has 59 voicemails waiting, and he asks if she wants to ignore those and notify people the closing ceremonies are about to commence. Notify the athletes. And she is pretty stoked and is willing to do it. Michael or Jim goes into Michael's office. And uh, Michael greets him with a, hey, Slim Jim. (laughs) No longer Fat Jim. Now he's Slim Jim. That's right. He congratulates Michael on his condo. And uh, I love the way Michael just kind of despondently says, thanks. You know, it's three-bedroom, gay-friendly. So, uh, yeah, Jim says... uh, It's worth noting that when Jim walks into Michael's office, he's despondently staring out of his office window. Yes, he's back turned to Jim. thinking about the fact that he has to pay off this condo for the next 30 years of his life. Yep. (laughs) (laughs) So, uh, yeah, Jim congratulates him nonetheless and uh, says, you know, you want to come with me outside? I got something to show you. So Michael kind of sighs and gets up and follows him. And everybody in the office is waiting in front of a few boxes of paper. Mm-hmm. And uh, he, Jim takes Michael's hand and directs him to stand in the middle top box and uh, gives him a gold medal. He says, what is this? That's yeah, so for closing in your condo. You know, gold, gold medal. You know, first prize. <laughs> yeah. You know, Michael takes it and he puts it on, addresses the office. He says he doesn't know what to say, but his heart is very full at this moment. <laughs> Jim awards Dwight the silver medal, which Dwight immediately pumps his fist in the air, not even knowing what it's for. Yeah, silver medal. Shows it to Michael. (laughs) Michael says, yeah, not as good as gold. (laughs) Still has to belittle Dwight, even in this weird made-up scenario that just immediately was thrust upon them. (laughs) And there's there's never any reason given why Dwight's getting a medal at all. No. And he doesn't seem to care. He's just happy to get one. Yeah, classic Dwight. Yeah. And uh, Jim takes the bronze for himself and stands alongside them on the other box of paper. And uh, they start playing the national anthem. <laughs> yep. Michael asks Jim why they're playing the national anthem. He says, because your condo's in America. <laughs> <laughs> the doves are wheeled out on a, looks like a clothing line that's yeah. set up behind them. And, right. you know, Michael looks up. What the hell is that? <laughs> Those are the doves. <laughs> And then Michael gets, like, a very, I always thought this look was very funny. It's, like, very somber and serious, but, like, like he's just, like, there's a lot of, like, the situation has a lot of gravity, and he's taking it all in and appreciating. Oh, yeah. He was choked up. Like, yeah, but I feel like it's, like, the look you'd think, like, a Supreme Court justice who's being sworn in would have on their face. It's very true. Identical. Just the gravity of <laughs> what this means is just very I mean, in Michael's in Michael's life, this is, like, a... A milestone moment for him so that's true yeah you gotta realize that you know the scope of michael's life is very different from a supreme court justice but it doesn't mean that these events couldn't have you know the same meaning to to them Mm -hmm. so yeah 
Yeah, and I think I think Michael and Dwight both put their hands over their hearts. Oh, everybody does. Oh, everybody does. Okay. Yeah. I just noticed them. Yeah, as soon as the national anthem comes on. I mean, they're the most, I feel like they're the most serious about it. Yes. Yeah. Dwight especially. He's like doing some kind of crazy pose. He's kind of looking off to the side, like up into the air. I learned it at the Lackawanna County Sheriff's Department. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> and uh, yeah, Jim is, you know enjoying himself but also has a look on his face like he's not taking it nearly as seriously as they are of no. course and it's funny the editing choices they have in this scene it it very much reminds me of the final scene in star wars a new hope where <laughs> it's like all the pageantry and they're all up on stage in front of everybody but the mm-hmm. camera is just like cutting at all these angles yeah and you're getting like different shots of every character mm-hmm and uh i feel like we get a lot of shots of meredith smiling up at them yeah for whatever reason and she's the one that stuck out to be the most at one point it shows kevin Mm -hmm. and kevin's hand is on the wrong side it's on the wrong side of his chest i think he's nodding and smiling too maybe licking his lips even yeah (laughs) i love it classic kev and uh yeah the episode ends with them standing there accepting their awards and uh, I wanted to bring up, I put it in my notes, which mm-hmm. I'm sure you saw, that uh, I feel like the end of this episode with Jim having his own thing going on with the office, the office Olympics, and then bringing Michael into it when Michael is at a fairly low point of the day mm-hmm. that started off as a high point for him, and then he just kind of despaired more and more throughout it. Right. And now it's kind of brought back up by Jim that I feel like the office and things that Michael Schur and Greg Daniels do independently of the office all do this a lot where characters will be something very emotionally significant for another character at just the moment they need that without the intention to right. do so being there. Like yeah. they just kind of, and in some cases, you know, the, the character will possess the awareness to see what's happening in that moment and take an active hand in being what that person needs. But other times it just kind of happens and it's really beautiful in a weird way. Yeah. That's very a, uplifting. Yeah. That's a cool observation. I uh, wouldn't have thought of that necessarily. Yeah, I feel like we see it, you know, with uh, Michael at Cam's art show later in the series. We see it with Michael and Aaron. Uh, yeah. A kind of pseudo father-daughter relationship where yeah. Michael is not going along with it at all until he kind of sees that that's what Aaron needs from him and then, you know, is more than happy to fill that role. Oh, that's true. Huh. And, I mean, in a way, he's been looking for someone to look up to him like that his entire life. Yeah. And just never expected it to necessarily be Aaron or somebody like her. It takes him a while for him to view her in that role, too. Well, she's kind of a rube. (laughs) (laughs) So I just wanted to bring up that Greg Daniels and Michael Schur got the idea for the Office Olympics from the production crew of King of the Hill doing their own version of Office Olympics one day. That's awesome. Yeah. And uh, since this episode aired... Apparently, office managers around the world have been holding their own version of Office Olympics as kind of a morale booster team building. Huh. Yeah. So, have you ever done it at your work? I haven't. Uh, but uh, at, the, at my last job, the idea of it was brought up. Unfortunately, at the point that it was brought up, I was only working with like six people. So uh, okay. that might be too small of a group to do something like that with. But but now. Yeah, I think it'd be fun now. I like the people I work with, and I feel like they would all be into it 
So. If your boss and or coworkers listen to this episode. Which they probably will. Which they probably will. <laughs> I'm talking to you, Rob's boss. I don't know your name. But well, this is Dan of Out of Paper speaking directly to you. <laughs> I expect to hear about an M&M eating based competition. Ooh. <laughs> yeah, I don't know. Was that a intrigued or disgusted ooh? <laughs> little column A, little column B. All right. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. Uh, my designer has been listening to this podcast in our shop, and it is a very weird experience to be going about my day there and all of a sudden hearing like you and I both like erupt in laughter from the other room. <laughs> <laughs> Which is usually the loudest point of our episode, so that's usually what sticks out most. But yeah, very strange. But he's a big fan, so nice. Yeah, that's funny. Yeah, you're gonna be having these sign shop Olympics any day now. Shout out to Earl. Yeah, we need to organize this, Earl. Let's get it going, Earl. <laughs> I'm waiting. <laughs> All right, should we move on to ratings? Ratings. 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 You want to go first? Sure. All right. Wow. I haven't thought about a number rating that I would give this episode. I have my uh, my my unit of measurement. Okay. But uh, I'm excited to hear it. Yeah. Well, no rush. I like this episode. I feel like this is one of the it's a very classic episode of the office Mm -hmm. you know like something that was kind of a unique concept for a sitcom at the time so maybe i'll do the same rating i gave last week's episode i'll do a seven flunks out of ten seven flunks out of (laughs) ten nice yeah i enjoyed this episode and i liked i liked that you know there was an a and a b plot and there were parallels maybe not in like what was happening between the plots but just like the energy of what was going on at points kind of contrasted yeah yeah they i wouldn't say they're maybe not parallels but uh you know when michael hit a low point while he was figuring out his condo situation i feel like that's when the olympics at the office was really ramping up and people were really getting into it absolutely yeah and it kind of follows that trend as the episode goes so Mm -hmm. yeah yeah i enjoyed it cool yeah i think i might be slightly more generous seems to be an ongoing trend i've noticed i feel like if you do a rating first i'll like go a little bit above it (laughs) maybe if you go first i go below it and we'll have to map it out over time yeah but uh i think i'm gonna give this episode eight carpenter ants or or no no i'm changing it i had another one in my mind okay Eight armoires left to me by my grandparents. <laughs> Eight large armoires left to me by my grandparents at 10. <laughs> uh, what a funny thing to leave behind, too. Like, where did they keep all of these armoires? Yeah, how many armoires do you need? <laughs> I feel like one per person is already maybe more armoires than a house needs. I also feel like armoires don't exist in modern homes anymore. No? Well, they've largely been replaced by closets, which wasn't a feature of bedrooms in old construction that's true yeah yeah i guess that's true yeah i mean if you have a closet and an armoire you're not doing too bad yeah i mean people still have them i'm not but you can put the armoire in the closet best of both worlds (laughs) 
<laughs> maybe a little bit of a waste, but fair enough. Yeah. Well, yeah, it isn't know. an armor. It's just like a large dresser that has like a top kind of hollowed out, non-shelved part that opens outward with like you usually can hang. a couple of cabinet doors or one big door, right? Yeah. yeah, and like you hang clothes on it. Right. But like I said, you know. Yeah, I guess you're right. I mean, it's been replaced by a closet since it's basically just like a closet dresser combo. Right. Um, but yeah, so I think I'm going to give it that. I like this episode a lot. I feel like uh, even though it's titled The Olympics – the office Olympic parts, while they're fun, are not like the high point of the episode, but I feel like everything yeah. involving Michael and Dwight in the condo is gold. Mm-hmm. And it's some fun foreshadowing with the plasma screen TV mounting spot. And we learn a lot about Jim in this episode as well. We do. Just in that up until this point, all we've seen is a somewhat disgruntled office employee with a crush. Mm-hmm. And... It's just fun to see him really activated when he's like the ringleader of something that everybody's enjoying. Yeah, I think the last time we saw him enthusiastic at all was uh, during the Dundies when Pam was drunk and right. he was being entertained by it. Right. Yeah, Jim coming alive. Yeah. I like it. It really kind of shows that he's, you know, kind of the glue to all of these different factions in the office. Mm-hmm. You know, he's playing with Toby for a while. He went over to the accountant's desk for a while to play with them. And then he brought everybody together for the, the games. Well, everybody except Angela. But Yeah, I think everyone generally likes Jim. Yeah. I feel like the only time people, I mean, now we're getting ahead of ourselves, but uh, don't care for Jim is when Jim starts to take the fact that everyone likes him for granted. Yeah. Or expresses any acknowledgement of that fact. Then suddenly it's just like, who the hell is this guy? It's true. I also love Oscar and uh, Jim's interactions involving the Finer Things Club. (laughs) (laughs) Some people think you tend to dominate the conversation in order to try to be funny. Oscar, some people. (laughs) (laughs) And then Jim shows up at the end wearing like an Irish outfit and talking in an Irish accent. Yeah. (laughs) Goes on for a minute well, Oscar just kind of looks with a smile. Are yeah, you done? It's very obvious. <laughs> he hadn't read Angela's Ashes. No. <laughs> Who's your favorite character? Angela. <laughs> nope. The Ashes. Oh. <laughs> uh, That's a fun read. <laughs> I have to confess I have not read Angela's Ashes and don't know what it's about, but I imagine it is a pretty depressing read based yeah. on the title and everything I have heard about it. Right. Yeah. Yeah. Just when it's referenced culturally, it's usually got a very somber tone yes. following its explanation. Yeah. It's bleak. Indeed. Well, that's our episode, I guess. Yeah. Unless you got anything to add? I got nothing. Nothing. We're nothing. All, we're all out. So that is episode nine of Out of Paper. We're out of the proverbial paper. We are. Literal and proverbial paper. <laughs> None over here. No. <laughs> Nor will there ever be. That's our promise. Yeah, we've been paperless since day one, really. Uh-huh. Yeah. Look at us. Yep. We are a green podcast. Yes. Saving the earth a little bit with every episode. That's how we do it. <laughs> Just doing our part. All right, guys. You know the drill. Social media, blah, blah, blah. Yeah, enjoy it. Look us up. Subscribe. Like us. Make us comments. Yeah. Tell us if you liked the episode. Tell us if you didn't like the episode. Yeah. Rob's Listening. floating in this chasm of bleak loneliness like you mentioned before so somebody help we love you paperless people all of you we do yep get ready for our next episode live office office olympics 
with Rob <laughs> at his place of work. Yeah. I'll be guest hosting. I'll, I'll bring the flunks. You know what? I'm going to organize something like that, and I will keep you guys posted on the progress. Hell yeah. <laughs> <laughs> Flockerton lives. <laughs> All right, now we're stealing from Mark Marin. <laughs> <laughs> Sorry, Mark, because uh. we know you're listening. <laughs> and it's funny because i work with a guy named boomer so what yeah let's get mark Marin to the office olympics too boomer lives <laughs> send him an email tonight subject line we found boomer <laughs> oh yeah i met boomer you did meet boomer yeah <laughs> yeah apparently in his bloodline he's uh possibly royalty portuguese royalty wow yeah all right but he laments the fact that he does not benefit financially from his could-be title. Well, so don't we all? Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> all right, guys. We will catch you in the next one. Peace, people. Out of Paper is not endorsed by DLD Productions or NBC and is intended for entertainment and information purposes only. The Office, the Office logo, and all character, pictures, and audio of The Office are registered trademarks and or copyrights of their registered copyright holders.